A good Monday morning to you on this July 5th. You're tuned into Real Talk. Thanks for downloading us. Thanks for subscribing to us. Thanks for showing up here live Monday morning, if that's what you're doing. This episode is presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well. You know, right now, when people are talking about crypto, they're going, well, which way is this going? Which direction is this going? Up or down? What's up? What does this all mean? Is this even real? Don't blame me for having those conversations. Don't blame me for wondering about that. One of your friends probably thinks this is malarkey. One of your other friends probably is telling you this is the future of commerce and security and saving and sovereign wealth. If you have questions, you feel like they're dumb ones, you know they're not, but you want to go to somebody that knows what they're talking about. We recommend Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, it's been a few days away from the studio. It's great to be back with you today. The team took a couple of days, Thursday and and Friday of last week, uh, July 1st, obviously here in Canada. A lot of people uh, observing Canada Day, others not observing Canada Day or observing it in, in a different way. Uh, this year in in the context of what our nation has been grappling with and the conversations that we've been having coming up in about an hour from now, we're going to talk to a, a member of the Enoch Cree Nation in the province of Alberta, Lorelei Mullings. We, we mentioned what she's been up to mid last week on the show. She's been in uh, well, she's been demonstrating. She's been setting up and demonstrating and been joined by others, including on July 1st outside uh, what was formerly known as the Charles Campbell Indian Hospital in North Edmonton for, for many, many years. This was a, a hospital where uh, indigenous people in particular, uh, those from northern communities were flown in, in particular those with tuberculosis. And uh, this was post-World War II, by the way. And, and the hospital has has long been or let me say the property has long been rumored Uh, I mean, depending on it feels disrespectful, Sarah Hoyles, it feels disrespectful to use the word haunted uh, because Mm. in the in the city of Edmonton, anybody that that's familiar with that area, anybody's familiar with the capsule hospital will know that that people weren't talking about um, things like residential schools and unmarked graves. And that wasn't necessarily where the bigger picture conversation was. People more would just talk about, oh, that property, that place is haunted. And now I think in the context of some of the discoveries that are being made, some of the results of this, these ground radar investigations into these former residential school sites, the context, I think, is 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 being more specifically discussed with people. And that's what's prompted Lorelai to, to set up this demonstration. Absolutely. I mean, when we spoke with a variety of different guests over the last several weeks, there was mention that, no, we're not just talking about residential schools. We're talking about hospitals as well. And this is one of those hospitals. I have been aware. I mean, yeah, maybe haunted was a way of, of, of pointing to something. But I think it was, I think, I think haunted is the word that, that people would just use when they would say, we, we recognize that there's something about this. We've heard that there's something about this place. Mm. We, we've heard that there's, you know, there's some reason that this property that sat dormant, uh, that, that sat unused since the early 1990s. Yeah. Kind of the same as residential schools, if you look at the timing. Uh, but but people would always reference that in that part of town. Like, oh, the, the Camsel Hospital. Kids are out there. You know, people are throwing beer bottles against the wall. Or that's where people are. You know, it's I wouldn't go in there. That's the, that kind of a property. 
Well, now as it's under development for residences, like mm-hmm. apartments, they're going to do a townhouse or a, some sort of a condominium uh, build up there. More and more people like Lorelai have been talking. So Chief Billy Morin was there for me, not Cree Nation. Our very own Sam Brooks was down there shooting photos over the weekend. We're going to get to that conversation in about an hour from now. In, in five or six minutes from now, we're also going to talk about taxing the church. Should ter- churches be taxed in Canada? And so I wanted to point this out uh, just under 20 minutes ago. If you're watching this live, if you're checking out the podcast later Monday or even into early Tuesday morning, I encourage you to swing by my Twitter profile. You'll note that I've just put out uh, an unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. It's been up for about 20 minutes. We have 525 votes already. So I think this will be a good one. Should churches pay taxes in Canada? So far, a whopping 89.7%. Let's call it 90%. Let's say nine of 10 early respondents, 20 minutes in, say, yup, tax them. About 5%, 4.8% say no way. And about 5%, 5.6, let's call it 6%, say, well, it depends and then, and then they start to get into it. We say if you're going to vote on, uh, if you're going to vote for the it depends option, you should explain it. We should pro- provide some, it for us. provide some insights yeah. so, so we understand. And so, for example, uh, Krista on Twitter says the divide between tiny rural churches and urban mega churches is very different. Great point. Says plus there are you know denominational head offices and all that money. Krista says I'm not sure what the best course is, but something needs to be done. Thor says, out of curiosity, what's the reason they don't? And we're going to get into this uh, with our guests, uh, Brian Dykema from Cardis and Leslie Rosenblood from the Center for Inquiry Canada in just a little bit. The short answer is churches, religious groups, nonprofits can if, if they can demonstrate they they provide a public good. They can be exempt from things like federal income taxes. Right. They're considered a charity. And so charities uh, falling under that umbrella as a as a qualification as a charity, they they don't pay taxes. So it's it's like many other charities. Yeah. Um, Traxy says I answered depends. They should be taxed on every dime they make that is not put back into the community. Interesting. Uh, Lee, meantime, says tax them right out of business. And then I've had some others that are sort of we've had some responses from people that are, I guess the word you would use would be triggered. Some people that are uh, that are unhappy that we're even asking the question. So so that's an interesting one there. We'll, we'll get into that. Should we tax the church? We're going to talk about this process. And then there's so many other things. We, I mean, you know, we take off on a Wednesday. Uh, we do the show Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're out of here Saturday, Sunday. It feels like an eternity. And in the meantime, I mean, we went from talking about Lytton, B.C. setting three straight days of national temperature records to the entire community burning to the ground in about 15 minutes late Wednesday evening. That was what was wild about it is that I was like, we, we actually talked about Lytton. Like we talked about it being that it was the record setting location. We talked, we talked about it. Like, can you believe 49 degrees Celsius? Can you believe it? We took a look at the map that showed that in, in, in all the United States in recorded history, there were only four states, I think it was, that had yeah, seen... Was Arizona was in one of those. Southern yeah. California, New Mexico, I think it was, and maybe Nevada, if I remember correctly. But like the, the, the desert, the arid regions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then the next thing you know, this is... There it is, Sam Brooks putting it up on the screen for those of you that are watching on YouTube. I mean, it gives you a real clear context in the recorded history of the United States. Look at all the places that had not seen temperatures as warm as 
It's warm. It's hot. Is Lytton, BC? Well, well, I mean, obviously, the conversation has changed now. Is the province of British Columbia is 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 battling wildfires? Like, I mean, it you know, it's wildfire season, as they say. I always think about the people that are there on the ground, like literally the boots on the ground that are in there. Mm. Covered a wildfire once uh, back in the TV reporter days, and uh, was uh, I mean, it was just a phenomenal experience. Uh, working with sustainable resource development, so working with you know supervisors and crews, they 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 were able to send media in. They wanted to give people a sense of of what we were dealing with, right? And so you you can talk about hectares and things like that, but you want to give people a sense of 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 what it looks like, so people can people people sort of gauge wildfires by how many football fields they are, right? Or or how many you know how many city blocks or square blocks they are. We had two perspectives. One of them I was. I got to shoot the pool feed. So back when I was a videographer running a, a camera, they sent me up into the, this was very stressful, by the way. I was like a young pup. I was pretty new on the job. And they send one videographer up there to shoot and then everybody shares the video. Oh my goodness, right? that's a lot of pressure. So it's like, it's like, I was there for City TV, CTV, Global, CBC, everybody's getting the same feed. Don't mess it up, Don't Desmo. mess it up. Although I'm also kind of like, you know what I could do is like just make it lousy for everybody and maybe bump our show up in the right. No, uh, but anyway, it, it, the, the grand being out of there, like out of a chopper, you've got like mm. this sort of harness on the shoulder harness with this big 40 pound news camera and you're just trying and it's like you're behind the lens. but You're like, what is like, wow, when you see it from the air. Right. And then you go down into the ground and they took us in, got all like suited up and everything. And, and you're actually in there. With the people that this has got to be some of the hardest work that you can imagine. I mean, wildland firefighting. Whew. And they're in there literally with like shovels and axes and things like this. Water bombers are going ahead and trees are literally like every once in a while you just hear pop and these these tree trunks just explode from the heat. I mean, it's wild. It's amazing. Just think of the crews that are working there. Oh, and by the way, Bill Cosby's released from prison, oh, too. Even. You you know I was going to bring it up. You know I was going to bring it up. So there's a lot that's happened in the last four days. Oh, and Les Habitants also. I don't I don't mean to show up on a Monday, Sam, and just wreck everybody's day. My day is fine on that front. Wildfires. <laughs> yeah, you don't care one bit. Wildfires. <laughs> We could talk Bucks and Sons NBA final. <laughs> then, then you yeah. care. Then you care. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Bill Go Cosby's Bucks. out, and and the Habs. Uh, I mean, do or die tonight. You think that they're? You think you think they're going to be able to win at least one? I, I, I like this seems to be the playoff of sweeps. You know what I mean? It like it's, just, it's happening way. over totally. and over and over again. And and Oilers, Jets. Yeah. yeah. And I mean. I hope they can get at least one, but I'm I'm uh, I'm trying know. to keep the faith, man. Yeah. I'm trying to keep the faith. Tampa's Tampa is just rolling right now, so I don't know. I mean, Carey Price, I know, says he's got to be better. What does that even mean? It means like yeah. infallible. What <laughs> if you weren't going to be better by now? Well, but he has been amazing. Carey Price is like just been a, he has been the Montreal Canadiens through the through the playoffs and so, so there you have so that goes tonight I don't know I've, I've got a buddy convinced that Tampa's gonna throw it in game four so they can win it on home ice in game five they uh. want to win it down in Tampa it's not if you, if you talk to any athlete that's just not how they work if you have your 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 
heel on the neck of your opponent and you're choking them out and you see I don't know why I have to be so vivid on this but you see the life leaving their eyes and they're starting to flicker you don't say well maybe we should let them live for another day right because then you breathe a little oxygen into the beast mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's three games to one and then what if it's three Momentum games to two shifts. and then they just need to win two mm-hmm. so I I think Tampa closes it out tonight in Montreal four straight but I hope I'm wrong I not not because I love the Habs It'd be great to see a cup in Canada, but that's forget about that. That ain't happening. They're not winning four against Tampa, but but uh, I, I just like to watch more hockey. I'm just selfish. Once the Stanley Cup finals are done, then then what? Then what? We have to like go outside. You gotta you have to go outside. Is that what's going on? WNBA. We're gonna check in. Yeah, WNBA. Is that, does their schedule follow the NBA schedule? It, it basically goes uh, opposite. Oh, so. so you can always watch basketball. You betcha. Yeah, it's almost like they know what they're doing. Right? Almost so, 714 votes on our poll. We'll get to that in just a second. Right now, I wanted to remind you, it's obviously no secret that running a small business isn't easy. Uh, life as a business owner is hectic, to say the least. You should let Alberta Blue Cross help you. Find a little peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, let your employees enroll and manage their coverage at any time on any device. Makes life easier for them. Makes life easier for you. Alberta Blue Cross. Explore your options at ab.bluecross.ca. Also wanted to let you know that our friends at McBain Camera right now are rolling out their trade-in event. It's just kicked off. This is a great opportunity to update your gear, to freshen up your camera bag, turn your old photography equipment into new possibilities with McBain. Get a 25% bonus in trade-in value for your second-hand gear through the month of July. They'll happily take in everything from vintage gear to the latest full-frame mirrorless cameras. You can bring your used cameras and lenses down to any McBain location to have it appraised. you got to allow them a few days so they can test it and assess it. The offer ends July 31st. All right, so you've got 26 days left. It ends July 31st. Visit McBainCamera.com to find the store nearest you. It's the McBain Camera trade-in event through the month of July. All right, so on my Twitter profile, we've asked you. It's an unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. We have 750 votes on the nose uh, about a half an hour in. Should churches pay taxes in Canada? Of the 750 votes, 89% are saying, yep. 4.5% are saying, no way. 6% are saying, it depends. Brian Dykema is the VP of External Affairs at the think tank Cardis. Cardis is a, a nonpartisan faith-based think tank uh, based out of Hamilton, Ontario. Leslie Rosenblood is the treasurer and secular chair of the Center for Inquiry Canada, a national educational charity promoting reason, science, and secular values. I'm grateful that both Brian and Leslie have agreed to join us this morning. Good morning to both of you. Uh, Brian, why, why don't we begin with you? I mean, uh, the assumption is that, that you would side on the no way angle here. No way churches should pay taxes in Canada. What would I don't want to make assumptions, though. What would the argument be? The argument in favor of, well, I mean, it's it's interesting that this is coming up in, in the sort of the face of the, the horrors that we're witnessing, or at least the sort of unveiling of them. And I, I think there's, I mean, I think that's in some sense, it's a natural reaction that people will say, look, this has been a terrible thing. And you focus on on one of the parties that's been involved in it. And, and so on the one hand, I actually can understand where it's coming from. I think, though, if you look a little bit deeper, if you look a little bit deeper at what churches do, and I, and I don't mean just churches, I mean, churches, mosques, gurdwaras, 
synagogues, religious communities of all sorts. If you look at them uh, and you look at the contribution that they make to public society, you look at the way that they form people, and you look at the way that they actually provide a means for people to to move beyond those horrors, to find peace, to find reconciliation, to find new ways of doing that, as is very true for the Indigenous community in Canada, I think you're going to want to think twice about doing that. Okay, and we'll certainly follow up on that uh, with regards to thinking twice and what the thought should be and what thought should go into it. Uh, Leslie, generally speaking, you want want to set the table for us from your perspective on, uh, I I think Brian's done a really good job of of alluding to the reason why many Canadians are talking about this right now, but but how are you processing this or how have you been over the past number of years? Yeah, so thanks again for for hosting us. I think this conversation is long overdue and I'm glad that we're finally having it. Um, I believe that uh, churches and and like Brian, I, I include synagogues, mosques and temples uh, in, in that. So all houses of worship uh, should be treated like other organizations and should not be exempt from paying uh, uh, several types of taxes. Uh, and what we would like to see is advancement of religion in and of itself should not be considered a charitable purpose. And uh, and that includes uh, pretty much all churches of the land. Uh, that tax break alone, that loophole in and of itself is worth over $3.5 billion per year. And uh, if churches have a right to exist, uh, they should do the work that uh, that they want to do, and some of that is good work. But they can be nonprofits like many other organizations that also do good works in uh, in the world. So, Brian, maybe the question should be: Should should chair you know should churches and and again, I, I think it's important to establish what you did, which is that this is not a an attack or some sort of a, a focused initiative against any denomination or any particular faith group. Uh, we'd be talking about any church or house of worship that would be exempt from from federal income taxes in particular. Should, should the question more be, should churches meet the same criteria as other nonprofits before tax exempt status is determined? Well, I mean, let's let's put let's actually talk a little bit of numbers for a minute. So uh, Leslie and I uh, share uh, a love of rational thinking and, and reason, and I think that's uh, that's one thing that um, you know I, I've heard good things about Leslie, and I think that's something that we share. So let's actually get some of the numbers on the table when we're talking about the we're talking about the charitable refund given by the federal the federal government. If that's the one we're talking about, there's other ones, municipalities, and so on. But we're talking about three billion dollars overall, and that's. That is uh, 0.7% of the Canadian budget overall. So if you're thinking about, okay, where are we going to start if we want to make the tax code more efficient? I find it very interesting that we're starting with with religious communities and we're not saying, for instance, looking at the federal budget and saying, you know, why, for instance, are we giving money to venture capitalists? Especially when when you know and everybody who's in a local community sees what churches, what religious communities do. They see it. They see the food, the food banks, the soup kitchens. If you've been to a Gurdwara, you understand that they feed hundreds of people every day. Um, so I just I actually want to ask the question. So why are we starting with religion? Why wouldn't we start with something else? Particularly, I've got lots of data to back up the fact that I think we should we should continue to do that. I think there are good economic reasons for that. I think there are good actually political justice reasons for that. But one has to ask the question, okay, why are we doing this? Why are we talking? Why are we starting with religion? It seems to me, Leslie, that there's a certain 
anti-religious sentiment that is driving this poll, that is driving this. And we've seen this from other people as well. They said they just don't like religion. And, you know, I, you know, your, your center, uh, you know, has noted you've called religion things like a drug, uh, you know, like human trafficking, things like that. I just don't think that's actually accurate. And I think if we were really talking about rationalizing our tax code, we'd probably want to start somewhere else. Leslie, why do we start with religion for a lot of people? Is it, is it just is it like Brian saying that they're against the premise of churches in the first place? There are certain people that are uh, anti-religious and have that particular bias. and But I don't think we're starting with religion. This is part of the conversation. This isn't a, the reason we're talking about this today is not from a general sense that we want to reform the tax code. The reason we're talking about this today is because we have found over a thousand bodies of kidnapped children. The residential school system was horrific government policy that was enthusiastically executed by the Christian churches of Canada. And the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission several years ago said that they had documents that estimated 4,000 children were were killed or died while in care of church-run residential schools. We have now found over a thousand of those remains. And that's why we're having the conversation about taxing churches today. Why should organizations that have committed such atrocities against our Aboriginal peoples of Canada continue to benefit to the tune uh, in total if we include the other subsidies, uh, exemptions and deductions that religious organizations get? Uh, Nearly $5.5 billion in support each and every year. Leslie, you're, you're also including mosques and gurdwaras and other places that had nothing to do with residential schools. So I, I think you're being a little disingenuous there. No. The, the, other thing, the other thing to note is, you know, I think it's important to actually pay attention to what Indigenous communities are saying. And so I just want to say again, absolutely atrocious what happened in the residential schools. And you're right that it was state policy. And in fact, I'm wondering why actually you're not saying we should just stop paying taxes, period, because it was the state that was doing it. You're right that it had enthusiastic support of the churches. It's profoundly unchristian. It's profoundly contrary to what uh, the church teaches with regard to family. Um, and so, you know, look, I'm a Christian, I'm a deeply committed Christian, and I mourn, I mourn that legacy. I think it's an absolute tragedy. When I consider what, what, what would be the case if it were my children, it, it causes me to be heartbroken, to understand that there are bodies uh, buried without graves, proper burial, that they were buried without their children or without their families around is absolutely heartbreaking. But I think it's important to understand many Indigenous people are themselves Christian. If you look at if you look at the percentage of people who are uh, Indigenous, 67% of them are Christian. And if you break that down, 57% of those 67% are Roman Catholic. So what you're doing, Leslie, is you're actually saying that the place of comfort, the place of community, the place of meaning, their, their connection to the Creator is actually something that they should be removed. And so I'm not sure exactly how that that, that, that accomplishes what you want. I, I think it actually works contrary to that. The Indigenous community in this country is rightfully, and I think more helpfully spiritual than many other parts of our society. And I think that that what, what we're talking about here is actually just a foil, just a tool for Leslie and his group to say, to get what they've always wanted and get what they've always talked about. And I just, I just think if we need to think deeper and a little bit more richly about what's actually going on in religious communities in this country, Leslie? Particularly in Indigenous communities. Okay, so there's a couple of things. Uh, Brian, you're right. This is uh, 
this is a long-standing policy for the Centre for Inquiry Canada. Uh, we do not view the advancement of religion in and of itself to be a charitable act. That is something that is clearly self-interested if you are a church or of any religion that you want uh, tax support to do that. And uh, it's something that we've been wanting to do for a long time. It's been something we've been trying to draw attention to for a long time. It is now part of the national conversation and our arguments are the same as they have been um, for, for, well over, for well over a decade. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, people uh, that that uh, there are food banks that serve hundreds of people and organizations that uh, that alleviate poverty or that advance education uh, are are charitable whether they are run by by secular folks or whether they're run by the religious folks. Uh, so uh, I have no problem with any of that. As far as the indigenous communities that uh, or the, the percentage that you quoted about uh, indigenous people that identify as Christians. Uh, I think that is uh, in large part due to the violence perpetrated upon them. They were ripped from their families. There are 150,000 Indigenous children uh, kidnapped from their uh, kidnapped from their families, from their parents, and brought to uh, uh, brought to residential schools where uh, they were inculcated with uh, with Christian theology, completely contrary to uh, the Aboriginal belief system. And that has that has stuck with them, but that would, that is something born of, of violence or uh, and, and born of, uh, of indoctrination. This is not something that uh, it was a polite conversation between, uh, between two groups and, uh, and then the Indigenous people saw the light and, and embraced it of their own accord. That is not the nature of how we got to uh, the statistics that you quoted, uh, Brian. Leslie, I, don't, I, I, I think... Can I respond to that? Well, sure, Brian. yeah. Just, just quickly. I, I mean, I think I think that's somewhat patronizing, Leslie, to say that the beliefs of those who who are holding on to Catholic faith do so because they've been duped or they've been brainwashed. Last time I checked, when I talked to Indigenous people, they are human beings like you and I who have the capability of having religious commitments on their own. And if you've ever been to church, you've ever been to a religious service in an Indigenous community, you'll know that many, many places, these are actually places where their culture is, is, is perpetuated. In fact, uh, the fact that the Cree language and other languages are present, that scripture is being translated into those are actually places where they further their own uh, their own uh, sort of cultural and, and community beliefs. And, and let's, let's also be clear about something here. The Christian religion offers a certain picture of a God who suffered and who was forsaken. And I, I think it's patronizing to say that people who, you know, who hold to those beliefs do so simply because they were forced to, rather than actually making a decision and seeing something for themselves that says offers them comfort, offers them a way to get beyond the, the wickedness that was perpetrated upon them offers them a way to forgive, a way to move forward and actually to look, look, look there. So I just think that whole premise is highly patronizing and very, very similar to the, the, the type of thing that we've seen in the past. Indigenous people are people, they're human beings and human beings have this need for this and that's why you see it. And if we want to talk the money stuff, Ryan, I hope we get to the money stuff. Uh, I've got lots to say on that. Yeah, but, well, here and, and I just I, think it's we let's let's make sure that we're talking about people in their own right and not just imposing our own uh, views. Uh, absolutely, people should be able to make their own choices. And what we are talking about is giving people their own choice. And I'm, and our position is not to eliminate the churches of the land but simply to uh, uh, put them on equal footing with other organizations in the community. Let's end the, uh, the tax loopholes that 
that uh, that give over five billion dollars every year to religious institutions. And here and here's the thing is like I, I and listen, I have all day for these types of conversations. Trust me, I love these types of conversations, maybe even more than the average person of of religion and spirituality and community and all these kinds of things. Uh, but that's not really the question we're asking, is it? I mean, I, I, I don't actually see much disagreement between the two of you on on Canada's legacy of residential schools. Uh, both of you condemn it. Both of you are suggesting it's very anti-Christian. Both of you are suggesting, I think, to varying degrees, that there is some for, form of, of liability, perceived or otherwise, on behalf of religious institutions, the federal government, probably the RCMP, but that's not where we're going on this. But the question is, should churches be taxed or should churches adhere to the same expectations that other nonprofits do when it comes to paying taxes? The advancement of religion, Leslie, is an interesting one that, that you bring up, because I think I think, Brian, we would all probably agree that a church's number one mandate would be the advancement of religion, correct? Number two may be altruism or Christ-like behavior or whatever your faith principles may be, following the, the Holy Scripture or the text of whatever you believe, whatever your doctrine is. But a church's primary role is advancement of religion. Now, the question is, should that preclude a church from paying taxes or not? Well, I mean, again, I think that's a very sort of modern uh, binary that just doesn't actually uh, reflect the way that churches actually work. I don't go to church on Sunday and my friends don't go to their synagogue on Saturday or my Muslim friends don't go to prayers on Friday and say, OK, look, I'm doing advancement of religion now. And then when I go feed people or I go help somebody who's in need that I'm doing something different. I think what what actually happens is that. It is a source. Senator Ahmedvar uh, has said some good things about that. Religion is sort of the nuclear core of the charitable sector as a whole. We're talking about things like food banks and so on. And when you look at that, when you look at what actually religious congregations do, even in their own rights, even in their own right with their own budgets, the, the serving of the community is at the heart of it. It's loving God, loving the neighbor. Those two things are inseparable. And so when you try to separate them in the sort of very modern way that Leslie's doing, it says it, it actually is, is seeking to do violence to the way that these, these people do their work. And, and I, I want to be very clear about that. If you look at the data, if you look at a church's budget, for every dollar given to the church's budget, it generates $4 worth of social good. And this is not just me doing this. This is actually scholars in University of Pennsylvania who are not religious by any means. And I think what they're realizing is that when it comes to things like addiction supports, when it comes to things like you know, debt management, or whether it comes to things like abuse counseling, all those types of things, those emerge out of the advancement of religion. Those two things are inseparable. And if you're trying to separate them, you're going to run into all kinds of like parsing of churches' budgets and things like that. And you're not actually going to be able to find the difference because for a religious person, the loving of their neighbor is absolutely tied together with, it's inseparable with loving God. And I think you start looking at the way congregations actually work in their communities. Everybody realizes that, whether you're religious or not. Senator Ahmedvar, I don't know her religious commitments, but she's noted it. There are other senators who have noted that. And there's plenty and plenty of academic uh, data that shows just how much churches contribute. And if you look at, not talking churches either, synagogues, you look at Via Hafta, for instance, which is a Jewish organization. Um, you know, we've got some on our Cardus.ca. Uh, if you look at our Koinomia project, uh, it's just one of those things that shows 
how much religious communities use their faith, use their religious freedom to serve the community. You can even see it in the schools. Children who've gone to independent religious schools are actually more involved in their community. And so, you know, again, I think this is one of those situations where there's a sort of bee in the bonnet of the secularists. And, you know, look, I'm pro-secular as well. I think we need to have a pluralist state. But if you're looking at the good, it far, far, far outweighs any cost that you're talking about. Again, let's keep in mind that the cost is 0.7% of the federal budget. I think Canadians as a whole are getting a very good return on that. Yeah, but I mean, 0.7% of a federal budget is not a small amount of money. Like 1% of a federal budget is an enormous amount of money. Let's point out a couple of things. First of all, an American think tank talking about, I mean, return on investment when it comes to tax-free status for churches. Are, are, are you talking about the you know tiny little churches in rural hamlets? Or are you talking about Joel Osteen, right? Showing up to, to, to his mega church driving his Ferrari. Like there's differences in churches. And, and as a graduate, of a private Christian school, right, from kindergarten to grade nine as a graduate of Trinity Western University, let me say that while there are valuable programs that, that, that are hosted by churches, the number one reason why a church has a soup kitchen is to bring people into the church to lead them to the Lord. That's a fact. And I'll also say that there are private Christian institutions, including elementary, junior, and high schools. For example, when we talk about gay straight alliances that would refuse to have them or would push back. That's one example of discrimination that can occur. And I know that when it comes to altruism and tax free status, I'm not sure that everybody has has the appetite for that kind of a thing, Brian. Right. I mean, some people would say that that is problematic at its core. Well, I think, Ryan, what you're doing is you're making distinction between good religious uses and bad religious uses. And I'm, sure. I'm there for that. I'm, I'm let's talk about it. Joel Osteen's prosperity gospel doesn't seem to be in line with the gospel to me. And, you know, certainly I think there's a certain call to love our neighbors that is true, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of, of anything for that matter. And I think that, you know, our, our deeply, you know, most deeply held beliefs are actually at the core of that, this, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I, I just want to I want to make a note. It's not an American think tank, Ryan, that we're talking about. We're talking about American scholars. At, I think it's the University of Pennsylvania. His name is Ram Kanan, uh, Famita Handy. They did a study of 46 Ontario churches, and when they found out who was using those community programs, they found that non-members, so people who didn't go to the church, were four times more likely to use those programs than members of the church were. And again, I, it's we, when we serve people, we don't serve them with some ulterior motive of, of bringing them into the pen. The, the whole business of, of religion is an encounter with the divine. And if you can provide a means to love somebody, nobody's going to say to them, and, and in fact, nobody does as that study by Ram Kanan shows, we don't go and say, okay, you're going to get food if you become a Christian. That's just not the way it works. And if people are doing that, that seems to be out of line with our religion. But again, what you guys are talking about here is actually you're lumping the bad in with the good. You're saying that the bad is, is the reason we should get rid of all of the good. When again, we're talking about very small amounts of money on, on the expenditure of the federal government. It's $3 billion is what the federal government budgets for tax refunds for charity and advancement of religion is a portion of that. So let's even call it, you know, 50%. So $1.5 billion. It's a very, very small amount. And I, you know, again, I struggle to understand other than a, uh, other than an anti-religious bias that's present and good. And to be, let's be honest, I share some of that in, in many ways. I, I, you know, as a who's religious, I see the way it's been used badly. And I would, I would, I would loathe that. 
But again, it doesn't make sense. If we've got issues with our tax code, let's start somewhere else. I, I personally think we should start with the venture capitalists, but you know. Sure. Um, and we'll have those, co- day, and, and we have those conversations too. I mean, our live chat's really interesting right now. Some people are just saying we need to tax billionaires more and that, that can be a separate conversation or part of the ongoing conversation. Uh, let, let me say it's, it's not new for me to hear the words anti-religious or even anti-Christian bias in conversations like this, uh, but I want to establish that's not what this is. This is a conversation about uh, about tax exempt status for nonprofits, churches and charitable organizations in Canada. When it comes, Leslie, to what you think the future might look like with this conversation, I mean, let's check back in here. This is just a a live look at this unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll I've got going on. We've got about eleven hundred votes right now, still holding strong. Nine out of ten people say tax churches, ninety percent. But guess what, Leslie? I bet you that you and Brian and me, I bet you we'll all agree that there's no federal politician. We'll, we'll talk to me to Kalowitz mayor in a second. They want to, he wants to take this on on the municipal property tax front, but. I'm not sure that any federal political leader would have the would have the political will to try to pull this off. Do you? You actually think that someone would start this conversation federally? That's a that's a matter of, of, of political will, and I don't I don't have enough insight into the mind of uh, Justin Trudeau or or his cabinet or uh, really of the uh, leadership of the other political parties to know where this sits on their on on their agenda i think that uh what they're going to do is listen to canadians so uh, as you've mentioned your twitter poll is unscientific it's unlikely to be representative of uh of canadians as a whole but if this continues to be the uh, main uh, major topic of conversation if we continue to uh say that uh, this is an injustice the reason that advancement of religion is, uh, is is in and of itself uh, uh, a, uh, a, a, a something that is a chair is considered to be a charitable purpose is because it's something that we inherited from England. There was a decision in the late 19th century uh, about uh, about uh, what religious uh, what what constitutes a religion, and and we inherited that. So I think it's probably time for us just to update. Uh, Canadian regulations at the Canada Revenue Agency to be a made in Canada decision, perhaps in the 21st century and not something that we've inherited from England in the 19th. Uh, And what we're talking about is not just advancement of religion as a charitable purpose, that's worth $3.5 billion a year. We have the federal government directly subsidizing religious institutions to the tune of over a billion dollars every year. They're exempt from property taxes, which you alluded to earlier. That's worth nearly $900 million per year. And the clergy residence deduction is worth uh, over $100 million per year annually. All of these are documented by the uh, Center for Inquiry Canada's Cost of Religion series, is published on our uh, on our website. I encourage anyone who's interested in some of the details and the methodology of how we came up with these figures uh, to look at that. It's not 0.7% of the federal government. It's 1.6% of the federal government budget. It's 3.5% of the Ontario's budget, over a third of what the City of Toronto spends annually. It works out to just under $145 uh, per year per Canadian. So if you've got a family of four, uh, you're subsidizing religion by almost $600 per year which is yeah, not true again but let's let's be accurate in our use of terms here i mean subsidy is different than tax exemptions and you know that leslie as well as i do right yeah. so subsidy is giving is giving government money to a group a particular group that's not that's not what's going on here there are all kinds of tax 
exemptions and breaks and refunds for all different types of purposes. And the reason why governments have those in place is because they recognize there are social benefits that come from that. So for instance, the childcare uh, tax credit is something that says, look, there's a social good, there's a public good that's being uh, given here. And I think it's indisputable that there's a public good that comes from religion. It, you know, uh, that is, it is highly disputable. That, that point is highly disputable. I understand that you feel strongly, uh, I feel strongly, and this is something that a lot of Canadians feel strongly on both sides of that question. It, uh, whether religion in and of itself is a public good, I would say it's fair to characterize that as a highly disputed uh, tenet. Disputed, but the data back up the fact that it is. And so if you actually go and you look at what churches do, you look at what synagogues do, they have a profound public benefit, primarily for those who don't attend their congregations. And that's what I'm saying here. That that evidence is not written by religious scholars only or by religious scholars even primarily. That evidence is out there. You look at the role, so say somebody, somebody like Jeffrey Stout, who's a Princeton University scholar, when he looked at who was, who was behind the big civil rights issues of the day, it's often religious communities that are doing that. And so, as I said, we have tax exemptions and refunds for all kinds of different uh, purposes, ranging from childcare to capital cost allowances for business. And the reason why government puts those in there is because they recognize there's a public good. And if even if we were to accept the full cost that the Center for Inquiry uh, put forward and would say that that's the real cost, that would be a very small cost for what is actually received by the public as a whole. And we've done work on that. Uh, we've, we've looked at all kinds of uh, studies. If you can actually look in the religion's contribution to the GDP as a whole, it's there, it's there. And that is, is, is written by people who you know, don't support religion, who may even be opposed to religion themselves. That data is there. And I think the fact that we're focusing on this one, you know, and again, Ryan, I don't want to say that you're anti-religious or what have you, but I think we do have to ask hard questions about why are we talking about religion as opposed to none of the other ones? Are we saying that there's a perfect, you know, a perfect uh, public good response for the capital cost allowance, which is a much, much bigger cost, I'd say, than religion? And that's, so it may not be anti-religious bias, but we do have to ask the question, why are we talking about this one in particular? Well, because, and, you know, and, and the short answer, because, because, Brian, and you're yeah. a sharp guy, obviously, and you know that this is yeah. called what aboutism is what you're doing right now. The short answer is because we do almost 15 live hours of talk a week. And so other days we do talk about other things. But the fact is right now we're talking about this and the onus is on you to explain why churches should not be taxed because that's the conversation no, we're having, right? No, no. The the onus is on those who want to take 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 take, take it away. And well, I sure, but you're here debating the other now, side, right? Leslie Leslie is not making Leslie's not making a compelling case. What Leslie is saying is that he would he doesn't think that it's appropriate for you know, uh, people who are religious to have a tax exemption. What I'm saying is that there's plenty of evidence out there by religious and non-religious scholars alike who've shown that there's a tremendous public good from religious communities, that this is okay. acknowledged, hold on, this is acknowledged by people in parliament. Uh, Senator Amitvar is, is the most recent. There are others who are out there who study charities, who study charitable purposes, and everyone acknowledges that. Imagine Canada, the largest uh, association of charities that represents all kinds of charities, you know, red and yellow, black and white, you name it, the, the, whatever color, whatever group, they're, they're, they represent them all. And they too recognize the sort of core nature of this. It's not something that we've inherited that we've just somehow forgot. There's, there's an actual benefit to it that's there. And I would say that everybody in their local community can actually see and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm making the case, I'm saying that that data is out there 
And I'm, I'm saying that the, the case to get rid of it is not very compelling, to be frank. Leslie, I know you're jumping at the bit here. Uh, again, so it's, it's a strong claim that Brian is making. And, uh, and there, are, there are studies that, that, uh, that make that claim. But again, this is not settled in, in academia. To just pick one example, Phil Zuckerman has looked at, uh, at charitable works and, and organizations and societies as a whole. And what he has found is the more secular that a country is, and by secular, I don't mean uh, observant or not observant of the populace or the number of churches. By secular, I mean uh, that government is neutral in matters of religion. It neither supports nor suppresses religious expression. Uh, it just takes, it takes a neutral stance. So the more secular a society or a country is, the, the more it thrives. The healthier it is, the long uh, uh, people live longer, the wealthier it is. On just about every socio socioeconomic indicator, uh, societies are better when government steps out of religion. It doesn't fund religion. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't overly uh, uh, punitize, uh, penalize it, treats it, it treats it neutrally. And that's actually true within countries. So we did a study, uh, again, Bill Suckerman did a study of the United States and found that the more secular state government is, uh, the wealthier, the freer, the healthier, um, the, uh, the more law-abiding that state was. And so simply calling for secular governance, state neutrality in matters of religion is correlated with, with success and with, uh, with human thriving. And that's all that we're after here. I'm, I'm looking for everyone to be able to make their choices. And, uh, and I'm not calling for the dismantling of houses of worship. I'm not looking for people to, uh, to say that uh, you cannot be a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever uh, in the public sphere. No, absolutely. There should be all voices. Uh, Canada is, uh, compared to most other nations, pretty good when it comes to, uh, to, to secular governance. But being a human institution, it can be improved. And that's what we're, that's what we're striving for here. So, Ryan, you, you may be surprised to say that I, I'm actually in uh, largely agreement with Leslie. And in fact, the distinction between religious authorities and political authorities is one that was brought historically by Christianity. So it's one thing that, you know, I'm very happy to support um, and very, uh, in fact, is, is very core uh, to what I believe. Um, but I think what we need to be careful with some of the language we use. I think there's a difference between there are types of secularism. Uh, our scholar Charles Taylor in, in, the, in uh, Quebec noted that there are different types of secularism. There's a certain aggressive secularism that you see in Quebec. Uh, and I'm not sure if Leslie thinks if Bill 21 is, a, is an appropriate uh, uh, bill or not. But that's one that says, look, you can't wear your hijab, you can't wear your, your turban, you can't wear your yarmulke or your crucifix while serving in, the, in a public, uh, public office, whether you're a bus driver, a teacher or a judge. That's a certain type of secularism. That's one that is, um, you know, says, you know, secularism is defined as having no uh, religious, uh, uh, um, no place for religion in that as far as it's the state. That's one view. There's another view, though, that actually talks about, it's a, I think it's a better view, in my opinion, that talks about sort of deep pluralism that recognizes yet that, yes, the state should be neutral and that the state should offer the, the same type of things to all types of groups, whether you're an atheist uh, center for inquiry uh, or whether you're a religious uh, community that's, you know, focused on Jesus or on Muhammad and Allah or what have you. And I think that that's the type of pluralism that we need to be looking for. That's the type of secularism I want. 
And I think that's present in when you're talking about advancement of religion, that's available to all religions in Canada. If you're an atheist and you don't like that and you want to set up a, uh, an advancement for uh, secular or for atheist uh, beliefs about what it means to be human and what it means to be society, that option is open for you as well. And Actually, so it's not. Uh, if you, of course, you're able to create such an organization, but if you wanted to create a secular humanist organization and, and, the, uh, and, the advan and you wanted to create a charity, you can create such an organization. You can create an organization to advance humanism. Yeah. But if you wanted your uh, organization that advances humanism and humanist thought to be a charity, you cannot. Because advancement of religion, advancement of religion requires a form of deistic worship and humanism does not. It recognizes that the common bounds that we have as, as people are the source of morality and does not recognize the supremacy of the deity. And so there is an anomaly. Uh, there is a disparity between what you can do to advance a religious cause, a religious philosophy that uh, acknowledges a god. Or, or deity of some kind or multiple ones. And if you were to uh, found an organization and try to get religious status uh, for advancing a philosophy that does not recognize uh, anything in the supernatural realm. Okay, uh, so let, me, let, me, let me go on record and say that that's wrong and that that should be fixed. And I think we should fix that. I, I think that, you know, I, we're all human beings have this deep desire to know who we are and right and, and what does it mean to be human being what does it mean to do right what does it mean to do wrong how should we order our society i think there are things that move beyond the individual uh or if you want to make the case for the fact that it, it's in, internal to the individual i think that's okay what we're talking about here are belief systems that are comprehensive in nature and if the state in canada does not uh support the charitable extension of that charitable purpose to an atheist society i think that needs to be changed. So, you know, uh, Minister Freeland, if you're listening, I want Leslie to be able to set up his own organization to get charitable status for it. So I hope I hope the minister hears that. And I hope that I'm I'm quite clear about that. But that's the type of pluralism. That's the type of secularism I want that Leslie and I and you and I, Ryan, and, and all of us can have these debates about what does it mean? And I think I th what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be right and wrong? And I think that's so critical to what makes Canada such a great place to live. Absolutely. We May we continue to have this conversation. Amen. Uh, let me ask you this in closing. Uh, fellas, first of all, I I'm grateful for your candor this morning. I'm grateful for the spirit of this conversation. I would imagine that, if you know, in, in best case scenario, the three of us would be sitting around a, a diner table having coffees and and hashing this out. Uh, Kent Gunslinger on Twitter is one of those that's that's cast a vote here. Um, on, on, and he says, you know, church and state are supposed to be separate, but churches politicize the pulpit all the time. Uh, time to make him pay up. Br Brian, in closing, let me ask you, I mean, in closing, let me say in closing for now, and I, and I suspect that this is just planting seeds everywhere, which is awesome. And I hope that these conversations continue. I encourage people to use the hashtag Real Talk RJ if you want to chime in on this. Um, I don't know how you'd enforce it. I mean, the, realistically, you couldn't. Uh, but do you believe that churches that are politically active uh, should should see tax free or tax exempt status? At risk? Do you think that involved political advocacy? Uh, how significant do you think of an angle that is in this bigger discussion? 
Well, again, I want to say there's there's good and bad types of political advocacy. If you're you're seeking insurrection and all the rest of that stuff, then certainly I've got a huge problem with it. But look, my church has been advocating for greater funding for Indigenous uh, education. I think it's an abomination the way we we fund it. Uh, again, and so I'm saying, is that a problem? No, it's not. And I think that the key to realize again here, what religious communities are offering, what they do, is they actually put forward a view of society. And I think that as Canadians... Uh, we are free to advocate for our view of society. Brian, but hang on as a sec. What I, what can too. Sure, but but what I'm saying here is that you know a church that that has a you know I mean I'm getting messages here from people. This will sound very specific because it is. It's a sure, message from sure. an audience member that says that he went to his men's prayer breakfast at his church and they were selling UCP memberships, like political party memberships at the prayer breakfast. That kind of stuff. Let's be honest, happens all the time uh, should that be relevant or is that relevant in this discussion i'm talking specific political partisan support well look if you're selling if you're selling uh partisan uh memberships at your prayer breakfast you need to have a chat with your uh with your council that's that's well out of line i don't think that you should be do look you shouldn't be doing that i think you you the the merger of religion with nationalism doesn't end well. And this is, look, I'm saying this as a religious person, doesn't end well for religious communities. It doesn't end well. You end up getting used. And we see that, we've seen that in Russia. We see that in Iran. We see that in other places. China that has the three patriotic churches or the three P uh, movements that are trying to actually use religion. I would say to that person who's selling them, watch out, you're about to get used and keep your eye focused on something that's deeper and more meaningful. And that's going to be there in a thousand years instead of the one that's going to get voted out in the next election. Leslie, I want to give you a chance to, to wrap this up with a bowl. I'll give you both of you a chance to do it. But uh, do you believe, let me ask you the same question, should political activism or involvement be a relevant talking point in this debate? Well, let's let's uh, let's not have uh, churches as charities and they can do what they want as a nonprofit organ, uh, institution. Let's make it not relevant. I think that Brian and I share a similar vision of secularism. Uh, we want to have lots of different voices, and we both want government to be neutral. I agree with Brian that uh, when religious institutions and political institutions get too commingled, that that leads to uh, to problems for both politics and and the religious institutions. So let's keep them separate, and let's not have government favor one religion over another or faith over non-belief let's keep government neutral and so all we're advocating for is a application of that principle where brian and i seem to be in agreement uh to the particular uh to the particular case of the preferential treatment given to religious institutions to the tune of five and a half billion dollars per year let's remove those loopholes and and let the churches thrive on their own merits brian We'll give you a last word on this. Yeah, I appreciate that. Leslie, I appreciate this conversation. Uh, you know, I've heard good things about you and you didn't disappoint. So I'm, I'm glad. Thank you very much, Brian. It's yeah. a pleasure meeting you today. Yeah, yeah. And and so here, I'll just say I'll just say this again. I, I actually think Minister Freeland needs to uh, open the door. I actually think neutrality is better served when there are more voices seeing the support. And I know if Leslie, if the type of conversation that your organization foments is this type of thing, I think you are doing a public good. And it's sort of a it's sort of an, an outpouring of your deeply held beliefs. And I would say that you deserve the right to be to be treated as a charitable organization that right. And I would say, like, let's have that. Let's have more of that. 
I think it is, I think it's demonstrable that, you know, when we're talking about things like charitable refunds and so on, what we're talking about is do they provide a, a public good? And I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. It's, as I said, for every dollar spent by a religious congregation, $4 is a benefit, public benefit is being received by it. And I think it's well worth it. I think it's a very, very small price to pay for the encouragement of the plurality that we have in this country, which is, I think, at the core of what makes it such a great place to live. That's Brian Dykema. Uh, from Cardis. You can check him out at cardis.ca. Leslie Rosenblood's joined us from the Center for Inquiry Canada. You can check them out at centerforinquiry.ca. Thanks for this, gentlemen. We really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you very much. That it was a pleasure. Right there was exactly what this show is all about. Right there. Right there. Right there. <laughs> Two guys that think the other is totally out to lunch, but they totally respect one another. They both they brought their talking points to the table. I know some people are like banging their heads on the table. Some people probably that, that think that Leslie's making no sense. And some people that think that that Brian's making no sense. But here they are back and forth and and advancing the conversation and making us think about things, which I really mm-hmm. appreciate. Um, it, it's always tough for me in, in conversations like that because I kind of want to you want to let the experts talk. And then I kind of have all my own thoughts. And we've got some great comments here on the live chat. And of yeah. course, the, the, the hashtags going off. At Real Talk, RJ, we'll keep that conversation going. I, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, man, there's a lot we could dig into there. I, I don't think that 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 it, the, the argument is settled. I don't think that you have consensus uh, that, that religion uh, unequivocally provides a public good. I think you'd have a lot of people that would say uh, our community would be in really tough without our church or without that synagogue or, or without. I mean, I, I think of like uh, sick, like uh, truckers and uh, what, what the sick community has done for people through through the course of this pandemic and like amazing community rallies. And I think of some of the, the work that happens, uh, you know, I mean, in, in Christian churches and we take a look around at different congregations, you know, uh, out of synagogues, the, the, the community action, and the services that are provided. Sure. Absolutely. A hundred percent undeniably when there's wildfire, when there's flooding, religious communities oftentimes open their door. I mean, unless you're Joel Osteen, right? You don't want to get muddy footprints on the expensive carpet. You don't open up. You don't open up your church if you're Joel Osteen and there's hurricanes rolling through. But most other people would or many other church congregations would at the same time. You know, you talk to people that are survivors of sexual abuse at the hands of priests. You talk to people that grew up gay that were subjected to, uh, I mean, you know, we were just talking. We were just talking about uh, conversion therapy. We talked about that with Matt Ashcroft. What was that last week, I think, on the show? You can look back in our archives and find that. I mean, anybody that's that's been, you know, subjected to what they would describe as or what is undeniably discrimination because of religion would certainly push back on the assertion that that religion undeniably provides a public good you'd have many people that would push back on that and argue against that the question is i think that you need to take honestly in in a conversation like this and i know sarah let's 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 peel let's let's pull back the curtain just for a second because you had considered like here we'll pull back the producer's curtain for a second because you had considered having like a, a tax lawyer like an expert on the panel as well like a third voice on the panel to sort of Try to keep the conversation focused on. I mean, we don't want it to be too boring. No offense to tax lawyers. And, and we're, we're lucky to have people smart like you. But the conversation can very quickly. And me as a moderator, I'm trying to be careful about that because the conversation can quickly become. Is there value to religion 
or is there reason for religion or what is mankind's uh, inherent spirituality and what sort of community are we drawn to? And these are all wonderful conversations. I told you guys about a campfire. I stood around a couple of months ago until literally sunrise where we debated these types of things. And I love those conversations, but that's not this conversation. Right. And this conversation is about taxes. Precisely. And I, I really did want to bring the tax expert, but not surprisingly, they weren't really wanting to weigh in. (laughs) It Mm. was tricky Mm. trying to, to, to round somebody up. So, um, I think what my, I think that there was a a little bit of, of stickiness. It got stuck in the place of, of status quo where we are right now and saying that there is value being brought by um, religious organizations that are that have charity status but what I w- would love to know is you know this the step you know if, if we were to look at it and say okay so if they didn't have that and that money that is not going towards infrastructure that's not going to you know property taxes that's if that actually goes towards property taxes what other social services would be possible we don't know right in other words you, you could non-faith-based charities could benefit from from you know uh, uh you know tax infusion right or an infusion of tax revenue from churches or religious communities right yeah. keith, keith says the conversations that conversation is how i want to start every monday good <laughs> respectful discourse uh, meantime scott says i don't think that conversation was as good as jesperson thinks it was okay well not everybody believes that we have solved all of the world's problems which is totally fine one other thing that i thought was kind of funny um and, and brian brian dykema is a sharp guy they're both of them are but you know Brian, I would love to, to just sort of like, as they say, iron sharpens iron. I'd love to have a, a, an extended conversation with that guy. But he says, hey, listen, in this conversation, you know, you're looping in the, the good with the bad. Uh, yeah, that's what you do, right? When you're talking about things like tax policy or political policy or when you're talking about organizational structure or whatever we're talking about, if you think about it, we're talking about the good, the bad and the ugly. And how it all plays out. That's kind of the whole point of the whole show. Uh, and, and the bigger per- the bigger picture, the bigger purpose of, of these conversations. Um, appreciate the comments on, uh, you know, the live chat here as well as the we'll keep this. Um, I, I feel like I don't know. I'm not going to say I'm disappointed with the results of our unofficial unscientific Twitter poll. Uh, <laughs> but but I like it's 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 like watching a hockey game, too. I'll refresh it. We've got about fourteen hundred and thirty votes. It's, it's holding strong. Nine in ten people say tax churches. Ninety percent. Um, this is like watching a hockey game. That's like a five nothing blowout. It's no fun. I like the back and forth. I like when the Twitter polls kind of move and they gain some momentum through the day. And all of a sudden, oh, the no crowd is gaining some ground. And then the yes crowd pulls away. Uh, looks to me here like, you know, there's an appetite in this unscientific poll. 90% would be an overwhelming majority. I'll tell you how many federal political party leaders will go on the record and campaign on taxing churches. Exactly zero. Zero. There is not a chance in hell, if hell exists, if. that federal political party leaders would ever start talking about taxing churches. This poll is kind of reminiscent of of the Stanley Cup finals, actually. It is, in a way. It's kind it of is. eerie. It is. If you think about it, I mean, now's the time. Don't actually do this. Do not do this. But now would be the time to put a thousand bucks on the Habs because the odds would be so wild if they won four straight. You would be able to pay off your house. But don't do it. It's a terrible idea. There are better ways to spend your money. 
like visiting ryanjesperson.com. Check this out. I'm going to share my screen. If you click on the, even if you're listening on the podcast, it's so easy to find. You just click on the sponsors tab right at the top of the page. A little message from me. And then we go down to our presenting sponsor. And then these are all the companies and the groups that we're proud to do business with. You see right here, Campers Village. Click on the link under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com and it's going to take you directly to their summer sale. It's it's on right now through till July 11th. You basically got till the end of this week to get up to 40% off the top outdoor gear available. So whether you're shopping for footwear or clothing or, or car camping or backcountry camping and hiking, they've got all the gear. They've been trusted by Canadians, in particular Albertans two stores in Edmonton, one down in Calgary, family-owned, trusted for years and years, but at campers-village.com or linking to it via our website, they'll ship anywhere in Canada. Most orders over 49 bucks, so we'll say most orders ship for free. You can check out more details online. The Campers Village Summer Sale is on now. Also, a big shout out to the team at Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Sam, can we call up these photos? There was a bit of a debate that unfolded in our backyard just yesterday. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. So we're sitting around the fire. We're having this beautiful, beautiful afternoon as a family. And and, and little man, Wyatt, says, you know what we should do is grab these peanut buster bars, these buster bars out of the freezer. I said, yeah, for sure. We've always got it. You got got to have some Dairy Queen locked and loaded in the freezer, right? Always. So, So here's the photo. Here's how I'm eating my buster bar, okay? I'm sort of, I'm hitting it hard from the top. You can see sort of like my the evidence of my heavy breathing over it. You see there where the <laughs> you see that? And I'm coming down on at I'm coming I'm coming sort of like how a helicopter would land. That's how I come down on the buster bar, right? So I look over at my beloved, my soulmate, my life partner, Carrie Ann, and this is how she's eating her buster. Sam, do you okay, you're you're you you vociferously disagree here, obviously. Can you see what she's done? She's gone around the whole thing like a she has removed all of the chocolate holding the thing together. And she's created like a soft serve ice cream cone. Yeah. Not quite it's soft. It's going to fall all over her hand. It's not like the Dairy Queen classic soft serve, but no. she's created an ice cream cone minus the chocolatey shell. And so I said, I'm just going to put this out to real talkers. What I'm doing here is hoping to make myself because we, we got into a bit of a, I mean, not a real one, but a bit of a tiff over it. I mean, Wyatt Rudy's sitting there like he doesn't care. He's just hammering away on his Buster Bar. He doesn't care. He doesn't hear a thing. No, you can find Buster Bars, Blizzards, Dilly Bars, two hamburgers for five bucks, two cheeseburgers for seven at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmont, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. Just tell them that Jespo sent you. Tell them that you're a real talker. We've got some uh, ground to cover coming up in just a little bit. We're going to get back to a Y Station question of the week we put in front of our audience members. Hundreds of you chimed in on it. We appreciate it about Alberta's upcoming referendum question on equalization. Uh, we'll give you some insight. If you're a Patreon supporter of ours, you've already seen the top line report. It's in your email inbox. But we'll get into that before we say goodbye today. But we wanted to touch on something that's making news right now as a matter of fact it's making news in our home city the city where we broadcast from edmonton alberta the capital of course of the province Uh, in late june just late last month a number of days ago lorelei mullings from enoch cree nation started a protest uh, just off 128th street 115th avenue the specific location doesn't matter if you're outside of edmonton what does matter is we're talking about the location that formerly was the charles Campbell indian hospital It's under construction. It's under renovation. It's being turned into residences. But here's the thing. 
So after World War II, the Canadian government decided to use the property as, as a tuberculosis hospital. In particular, it served indigenous people from Canada's north. Late 1945, patients started to arrive and the hospital officially opened the next summer in August of 1946. So government agents and medical teams would fly into northern communities. They would x-ray residents and sometimes even forcibly they would remove those with TB, tuberculosis. And they were flown to hospitals in southern communities, relatively speaking, like the Kamsel Hospital. Babies were born and baptized. Their children grew up there. In some cases, friendships started. Patients were cured, but not everybody made it home. In fact, some families from northern communities in this country are still looking for loved ones, searching hospital records across the country. Now, some former patients are buried at the Aboriginal Cemetery in nearby St. Albert, Alberta. But the truth is there are many stories of patients being abused. Uh, the emotional trauma cannot be understated. During the 1970s, the need for a dedicated tuberculosis hospital slowly declined and the capsule became a general hospital until it was decommissioned in 1993. Lorelai Mullings has been demonstrating there, including a gathering of about 50 people back on July 1st. Kind enough to join us live on this morning's show. Welcome to Real Talk and thanks for making time for us, Lorelai. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> what prompted um, you? I mean, you were down at the capsule. Some people, I mean, there had been rumblings. We were getting messages in our inbox. I was getting text messages on my personal phone. People saying, how long until this national conversation about residential schools starts to include the Charles Campbell Hospital in Edmonton? Has this been on your radar? No pun intended for quite some time. You know, um, myself and my friend, Andrea Jenkins, she was also the one who started this um, with me. We uh, woke up uh, Friday, June 25th, and we said they need it. Like she suggested, she said they need to check the Charles Campbell. That was an unmarked grave site. And I said, yeah. And we wanted to know, like, what are they doing about it? And we didn't want that get area to get um, forgotten. And plus of all the wrongdoings done there. So we, we decided just say, well, was there just the two of us? Let's go protest. And we decided just that day in the, that morning when we were very, we just got the numbers for the um, 751. And we said the only thing we can do is just go pr protest and, and bring awareness to everybody. And then after hearing everyone that has come, in, come out, we were there for seven days, every day at 7 p.m. And um, all the stories that came out about the Charles Campbell, um we just we now we want we, we got the awareness. We want justice now. What were people telling you? Can, can you share some of the stories? Um, I had it. We had an elders come by um, on the first night and he was from Pagani and he had mentioned that, yeah, there is bodies buried here, but there's not even bodies buried here. They buried them in the fort. They buried them in the the. Um, army army grounds or the barricades out there I, there's other places that they buried these bodies um he was told by he was told by other elders so a lot of these stories been t passed down of what was happening also i i've spoken to my cousin who worked in archives and um we know that some of those bodies came to enoch i'm a mourn i'm from enoch and we known there there was there there was a one um un 
unknown gravesite. But I confirmed it with somebody else, with my mother, and she said, no, they found two. So what they used to do is bring the bodies to Enoch and drop them off there. But the people that I've talked to and we spoke to, they said they never they never even heard back. Their, their families went to these hospitals and they never came back. So they never even knew that they died or, or anything like that. Was this something that, I mean, yourself as a young girl or growing up, was was this part of conversation among, you know, yourself and other community members? Or is this something that that you were made aware of or learned about more recently? I'm I am aware about residential school. I am aware about the Charles Council. I was born at the Charles Council. Um, I had a friend talk to me the other day. It was why why were you born at the Charles Council and nowhere else? I said, well, I'm an Indian. When, in, when you were known as an Indian, you didn't get a choice to go to the Missacordia or go to the U of A or go anywhere else. You were sent to the Charles Council. And even recent as, as you know, younger people in their 40s and 50s, they even have um, stories about how they were treated badly in the Charles Council. We uh, we did reach out to to local architect Gene Dub, who owns at least a portion of this project and is involved. I want to cite reporting uh, by the Star, uh, where uh, Mr. Dub has confirmed that he has hired personnel to undertake ground penetrating radar scans of at least one portion of that site where no excavation work has yet taken place. Is this a step in the right direction, Lorelai? I mean, ultimately, what are you hoping to see here longer term? That's one, one area that they build up. They shouldn't even have touched that area. I want to know the data that was, was brought forward by, by Mr. Um, the contractor. Mr. Dub. Uh, yeah. the, Mr. Dub. Um, I spoken to Trinity Brandon Demuse. She came on the last day. She's 21 years old. She signed a protest. She started a protest seven months ago. This young girl, and stopped the the development of that area. When we when we reached her, we found that because we were trying to make our own protest, but then we found our our own. Um, petition but we found that one so we started sharing she was at 205 and i'd have to say i checked this morning she's at 8 1800 that signed the petition uh, um she has emails from mr dub back and forth so this so the, the so mr dub has has changed his story many times he, he did tell the star, he said at, at the time that they purchased the building uh, in 2004, quote, at that time, there wasn't nearly as much interest or concern about burial grounds. He says, I think now we're sort of shocked into finding that we should investigate this uh, more seriously. Did you have I mean, it, it, in, in the number of days where you sat in, in demonstration, uh, a powerful demonstration outside the hospital, I know you were joined by elders. Um, and, and you were telling us in particular on July 1st, about 50 people there alongside you. Were there any interactions with developers? Did local community members, nearby residents uh, come by and, and, and discuss this with you? Do, do you believe that this is a conversation that 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 would extend into the into the, in the so-called mainstream population? Did you get a sense that your message was resonating with people that may have just been passers by? Um, when you arrived, there was 50 people, but over that day, the last day, we had over 150 people. Um, over the seven days that we were posted there, we had over 350 people we reached out to. Um, 
we had people across that lived in those apartment buildings come and drop off water. We had young girls, young men come and drop off water, come and drop off donations. We had our, we had all the chiefs in, in Treaty 8 that were had a meeting. We had um, a chief, sorry, I don't want to forget their names, Chief Ivan Swan. Um, that had put me on live on his Facebook. And then all of a sudden, the Grand Chief Noski, Arthur Noski, he came by and dropped us a cooler. And there's a number of chiefs, our chief from my reserve, Chief Billy, um, Councillor Jared Morn. Uh, there was just a number of people that, uh, regional chief, Marlene Portress. So there's a number of people that came out and supported us. Um, Elder Taz, my, my two uncles that helped us with guiding um, ceremonies. So there was so many people that came out or just stopped by when they heard our, our story on Facebook and then we developed um, an event and then we had developed a group. There were so many people that started coming out. So it was our social media and there was one of the workers that worked for, for worked in that area and that's where it got big from as well. I don't want to mention his name because um, he has been he's been getting a lot of negative feedback and I don't like it because, you know, we should be allowed to, to share our stories. We should be allowed to, um, no, let them know the truth. And it hasn't been, you know, I feel really upset because people didn't have a problem when they were doing ghost tours in the Charles Council. Everyone had, had a, didn't have a problem. Oh, ghost tours. It's haunted. This place is haunted. I don't say it's a ghost. I don't think it's haunted. Those are spirits that were left there and forgotten. So when I speak about those, those spirits, they want to be found and we know that they're there and we know we want the truth to be known because all we have is our voice. I'm not trying to get anything out of this. I'm just trying to, I'm, we're two people, two women that want to be known to, to share the stories and to let it be known because um, he knows where we are. We're on his site. We're on our, our site on Treaty 6 territory, but he hasn't come out to come and talk to us. Right now I have Linda, or, sorry, Lena, that is posted there. She has offered on the last day. She wants to take the never, next seven days. So she's there right now. We are on day 11 at 12815 115th Avenue Northwest at the Charles Council on the west side. So this is what's been happening. A lot of beautiful things have been happening. There's been things that I can't even explain, but being there with all the people that come out and a lot of big support from Treaty 8, huge friends of, you know, it just it's going it's getting so um good that you know when you do something so positive some people want to bring out the negative and you can't let that bother you Lorelai you know it's interesting you you were discussing the the ghost tours and the haunted facilities and and we were talking about that at the very beginning of the show today on how um and I don't and I don't necessarily think that many people I can't speak for anybody else, but I don't think people were trying to be offensive. I don't think that people were trying to whitewash or gloss over the history of the hospital. I think that most people just didn't know. I think that most people didn't realize what it was. And you're right. It's been described as a as a haunted, uh, almost a destination uh, in this city in so many ways as other 
uh, alleged haunted destination has been targeted by people on Halloween or or any other night. And I don't and I don't think that disrespect was intended. I just don't think that most people were aware of it. Now, that's an entirely different conversation about how many things people haven't been aware of lately. But it's been interesting. I had people come by actually that done these ghost tours or checked it out at the Charles and they were young people and uh, different, different ages. And they actually came forward when we were there and were crying and expressing mm. how sorry they were to do that. Wow. Is that one of they the, they came to apologize. <laughs> what does that mean to you? It means that, you know, they felt bad because they didn't realize they weren't educated to know what, what that hospital really meant. It was heartache. It was, it was a bad place for our people. And this is not just, this is just one hospital, right? So there was other hospitals in Canada. So um, it meant a lot that they had to acknowledge that they did wrong. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure the people that were there or the people, the, the spirits, they, they felt that apology. Lorelai, uh, you, can, can I ask about, you said some of the, you said that you've, you've witnessed or you've experienced some beautiful things uh, in the mm-hmm. days that you've been there uh, in a way, although it's emotional, uh, I, I would suspect that you may characterize people coming by civilians coming by to apologize for a somewhat frivolous tour uh, through that hospital might be one of those beautiful moments in the sense that it that it indicates that people are, are, are there are personal acts of reconciliation, small acts of reconciliation happening. Would you agree or characterize it as that? When you have somebody come up to you and you like every night we smudged about twice the beginning of our our ceremony and at the end of our protest when we we're leaving um, just to, you know, keep keep that that positive um energy right and we i had i don't know even want to say the number of people but first times people that have smudged Hmm. you know they wanted to learn or they were scared and we said anyone can do this you know we welcome people with with all our hearts you know um indigenous people are very welcoming people um it's just that we get a lot of backlash from from what has been done to us and they look at you know there's there's a lot of good in us and we have a lot of stories we have a lot of things that we can share with people but you just need to get a, get to know one of us and and we're so welcoming uh Lorelai, i know that you're going to tell me i already know in advance you're you're going to tell me that you don't speak for an entire community of people that you're not going to speak for indigenous people across the province or uh or or, or in in canada's northern territories and none of it uh northwest territories and elsewhere uh, but you personally i mean we had a fascinating conversation a while back with uh, former chief uh, sophie pierre who was talking about this saint eugene mission um it's a residential school that that by, i mean by a consensus vote in in among some uh, First Nation communities, a unanimous vote of support uh, to convert this former residential school into a hotel and a, and a golf destination. It's it's actually a fascinating project. Um, I know many people have many different feelings about visiting it and, 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 and the power that would come with that visit, the emotional experience that it would be. But you personally, uh, if Ground Radar does determine definitively uh, that there are unmarked graves on this property, what would you like to see the future of this property 
look like? We need, we, there's a lot of things that need to be done. Um, is this just the new, this, what where you're explaining or still we're talking about the Charles Campbell? Well, I'm just asking like if, if, if ground radar shows that there are unmarked graves yes. at this location um, mm-hmm. in, in your perfect, I can't say perfect world, but, but what would you like to see happen? I, it needs to be acknowledged. Um, we're still waiting for apologies and we haven't gotten any apologies. Um, there has to be ceremony. I haven't done any ceremony because it's not the time for it. I know I've been inboxed about certain things that we should be doing and this is not the time to be doing that until those it's been checked out. Um, we need, we need the justice to, um, of what our people faced in the hospital um, it needs to be well known because we've, we've kind of forget it was a hospital, but there's so many stories that people need to share. Um, you know, there, I just, it's incredible. It's very heartbreaking of what people have faced in that hospital. And I would like them to be able to, to share and, and help them heal. Um, the main thing that we would like to see is a monument something that shows you know the respect that we de- we deserve as as indigenous people as people that you know tried to fight this tb and got sent to this hospital and you know a lot of us didn't come out alive but you know the mistreatment of everybody um the other thing what was big in there was the 60 scoop mm. sterilization you know that's a big thing. You know, we have all these these kids and they're they're probably like in their 50s now trying to look for their parents, trying to look for their home fire and they're lost because because when they when they were um, in the hospital and their mom was underage or had no father to put on the birth certificate or were Bill C-31, there was a lot of things that happened and they were taken away from their family. And then they after that, they put them on the fourth floor, which people say the fourth floor was very, very haunted. But the women that were in there, how are you going to feel if your child was taken away from you, hmm. your baby, or you're, you didn't even get anything just taken? Of course, you're going to go mad or, or, or crazy or in, in, in so, such a uh, depression. And that's what happened. But people don't don't realize that. So the awareness is, is, is being brought out. But most of all, we need justice now. How long do you intend to continue this demonstration? I was only, we were, um, my friend and I were only doing the seven days. We wanted to do it for Canada Day, the last day. Um, and it was a lady when I spoke at the ledge to to introduce myself and what we were doing and about people having one voice and they, their voice is very powerful, just use it. Um, after I got off the stage, the lady seen me and she said she was going to do the next seven days. So now, um, you know, whoever wants to step up, go ahead. That that we I'm honored to do that. Everything that we've bought for the protest or been donated, it's been passed down. So we don't take anything, any of the water that's been donated, we've been passing it down. I bought an extra cooler. So two of the coolers that are at the, the site are from Chiefs and I bought chairs. Um, the other beautiful thing I have to mention was the last day, like we had drummers and singers and um, different singers. We had 
teachers. We had all about to different people, family and friends, elders, um, just some, lots of uh, known artists, uh, Georgina Lightning and, um, uh, sorry, Stephanie Harp. We had a lot of people that that have have a voice in the in the in Canada, so they were they were very supportive of us. Uh, they are also activists as well. Um, so there's a lot of beautiful things that are happening. So I'm I'm sure someone else is going to step up again. I am leaving um, for the month, but I'm hoping to see it continue. I'm going there tonight, actually, just to go sh sit down and show my support to uh, Lena and see how she how, how she does. And um, I told her it's up to her you know, what she wants to do. And I just kind of gave her a lead of what we were doing. I know on the weekend, maybe she didn't get much of a crowd. I'm not sure. I wasn't there. But I know um, because of ceremonies going on right now, it's hard to get people out on the weekend sure. just because you have sun dances and and um, powwows right now. Well, Laura, I mean, you, you, you got people talking and this is going to get people talking even more. We really appreciate your time and your availability here. May, may I ask you in, in closing just a personal question in the in the, in the quiet moments um, when there maybe isn't a big crowd there? Um, when you're on those grounds, uh, I would imagine it takes an emotional toll on you. I would imagine that your mind is working uh 24-7, um, as you're trying to process and, and as human beings, we imagine, uh, you know, as you look, gaze up into those windows or you, you try to uh, walk in the shoes of people uh, who have been there before. What has what the emotional toll been like or the personal experience for you in the quiet moments? Um, the last two nights meant a lot to me um, just because there was always four women um, sitting there. I was sitting with Andrea and my two cousins and we sat there and prayed and talked. Um, one of my cousins, she opened the chair for somebody and she believes that my grandmother, our grandmother was with us. Mm. She was sitting with us. She, she left us in 2002, but she believes that she was sitting with us. And I believe that too, because I felt comfort holding like next to the chair. I, I felt like she was with me. Um, the last, last night we were there, we, and we stayed there late till like one o'clock, like one thirty. we stayed late and people came by. It just, it's just wonderful how they come by. And the last night I, I got to smudge with my nieces and, um, show them what to do and give them some tobacco and just like, let them pray and, you know, having my my cousins and my nieces there it means a lot because you know you're passing down what's happened yeah. and they'll remember that moment you're and, and here you are i mean you're sharing your culture you're educating people you're i mean this is you're i i know you're going to find a way because you've been talking to our production team you're going to find a way to shrug off credit for this you're, you're you don't want to take credit for this but you really are getting people talking and this is one this is an example of a very powerful citizen action and i commend you for it uh lorelei we do have some local audience members people that are tuned in from edmonton or the metro edmonton region okay. that are curious to know uh if, if they would be welcome um and if so uh, what time they should show up it, it sounds to me like 7 p.m weeknights is that is that what you would say 
every day. So far, um, Lena's last day will be on Thursday, but every night at 7 p.m., you can go down to 128-15-115 Avenue, which you'll see Lena there. Lena is a beautiful woman. Um, she'll be very welcoming. Bring your chair, bring your blanket, and just listen. I don't know. We don't We don't ever have a planned agenda. It's just whoever shows up and we talk and discuss. Yeah. I'm excited to go there tonight. If you want to come out and meet me, you can come out and meet me there. I'll be there tonight. Um, and I'm pretty sure someone will take over after Lena's done. But it is a process. You know, they said women have a voice. And, and I, all I can see is strong Indigenous women that I meet. And I want to be part of that circle because it means a lot to do something for my people and, and, just, and not just sit, sit, sit still. You know, it's to to tell people and make awareness that means a lot, and it's not even in Canada. We're reaching people across the globe. Yeah. So we are on TikTok, and TikTok has like gone viral with, you know, me and Andrea used to go live, and uh, we had people in the Caribbeans. Um, I have family in Jamaica, so I had so we had a big big crowd there. We have. Uh, people from New Zealand, you know, supporting us, supporting the people, our people over here. We have people from the Philippines, El Salvador, Croatia, um, all over the globe that are reaching out to us. So it's if you are in Edmonton or you're you're stopping by, come by the Charles Council and, and come and bring your support. Um, donations are welcome if you want to bring food or whatever i know it's a hard thing to sit there but you know she's doing doing a great job and i i'm just happy about that also i'm happy about trinity and the campaign so if you haven't already yet please sign the the petition and um it's at it's at change.org and child's council you'll find the petition just sign please and we're just gonna we were she had a goal of 500 and we're at 1800 so i'm like let's make it 5000 <laughs> yeah there you, yeah you're 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 almost at 1900 and i see that it's being signed as we speak so uh, i think also with without disrespect i i forgot to mention chief papa chase kelvin bruno um he's worked on this as well he's one of the ones that that started um working with the, with the the council and and shutting it down and and getting them to search i don't want to forget his name i haven't met him but i reached out to him personally so i don't want to forget people's names but i mean this is you're you're getting i mean you you, you mentioned grand chief arthur uh Nooski, who's on on our show by the way back on june 24th a fascinating conversation um i, I you know what we, we should reach out and we should talk to him again because he, he's actually a, de- a devoutly religious man i want to talk to him about about some of the things that are going on around churches today i don't open a whole other can with you Lorelai I know we've got to let yeah. you go here but but I mean you've got Chief Billy Morin you've got all the you've got I mean did you, you, you even mentioned Elder Taz like everybody knows who that is and, and Taz Taz, Taz and, Boucher is like wonderful um and she went and protested with her uh, we went walking down the White uh, Ave on uh, plus 40 my one son he was carrying the makeshift coffin yeah with a uh, with a child in it and Aww. it was powerful it was very powerful yeah. i'm really blessed to have met, met taz oh, and have her support she came out one night and i had to go and protest and walk with her on on canada day i was very tired that day when you you met me but um it was very um i i felt i felt good about it yeah well you you stand next to her you'll just 
you, you, you'll receive energy via osmosis. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at Elder Taz. I, I think it was honestly 15 years ago. I think it was at, at what I believe was the inaugural it was an inaugural march uh, down 97th Street in Edmonton in honor of uh, I believe they called it the Missing Sisters March. But it was a, one of the earlier events that I can remember uh, around the red dress movement and missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And she has long been an advocate. Um, anyway, I, I just wanted to I wanted to give her a shout out because she's uh, she's she's just a remarkable human being. Uh, Lorelai, I, I want to thank you for making time for us today. Uh, uh, again, we'll we'll reference this change.org petition. Stop the redevelopment of Charles Council Hospital in Edmonton, Alberta. If people want to check it out. Um, people are going to just grind my gears if I don't ask. I'm terrible at TikTok. The truth is, Lorelai. But but where can people find you on TikTok? What's your handle there? Uh, my name is at Indigenous diamond okay um you can you can look for me there and also andrea's at at um mystique diamond okay uh, we're part of a diamond family um or diamond nation actually and on andrea's you can see the video um of the con one of the contractors speaking out so if you want to go check that out uh like and share and comment um yes there you go. Lorelai Mullings, a member of the Enoch Cree Nation, um, who's been uh, demonstrating outside the former Charles Council Indian Hospital uh, in Edmonton's North End on 115th Avenue. Thanks for joining us here on the show today. I would love, uh, You know what? Before I let you go, let me read you a couple. You know, some, Someone wrote in just to say, now, this is real talk. Uh, but how about this from Kim, who says, I am so into these kind hearted, honest, heartfelt guests who have no agenda other than revealing truth and asking for respect and acknowledgement of that truth. Bless her. That from Kim, who I'm sure speaks for many people. Thank you. Hi, hi. That's Lorelai Mullins. I I appreciate it. You got it. We'll talk to you again, Lorelai. Thanks for this. Um, You can let me know what you think about this. I mean, a lot of people are processing this right now going, uh, I had no idea. A lot of people, members of our relatively local audience saying, I've, I, I worked by there. I've driven by there or I, I, I live around here. I live in the shadow of this place. Uh, Want to recognize our own technical producer uh, in this context, photojournalist Sam Brooks, who went by on, on July 1st. Those are your photos, Sam, that we were seeing um, as a can, can I say candidly as, as a white guy, um, but as a community member. And what was it like for you to be there? It was quite honestly, you know, I, I'd come right from just a small family gathering in, in my grandparents' house and um, knew that I wanted to go take some photos that night and stayed for probably about two hours. It felt like the right place to be. It felt like the right place to just be holding space on Canada Day. And I mean, it's a it's a building with a tortured history that I see out my bedroom window every single morning. Yeah, and you're close I don't to know. it. I, I'm a block away. I yeah. live a block away from the council. Close to um, it. There's a plaque uh, on the east side of the Camsel, where there's the bike path there that kind of talks a little bit about the neighborhood of Inglewood's history. And the section written about the Camsel is so incredibly revisionist and whitewashed. It talks about how um, the Indians called this our hospital. And right. it's just, it's so abjectly wrong. And it's such, you know, such a, a, a misreading of the history of the space. So it's, uh, yeah, it was... You wonder you know, how many, how yeah. many... 
plaques and markers and and sort of contextual, uh, you know, uh, sort of information zones will be redone or re- I, I I believe there's like this national people are talking about erasing history. This is this is exposing history. These are telling stories, and you wonder how many of those will be redone. I mean, I see. You know, the statue of Queen Victoria, the big prominent one outside Manitoba's legislature came down mm-hmm. on July 1st. Gosh, I feel like four days away from studio with you two. We have so many. We haven't even talked about the Gulf of Mexico on fire. I don't mean to divert our conversation. There's just so much going on right now. But that statue of Queen Victoria and the Queen Elizabeth one came down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these I mean, there's there's a lot going on right now. Um, and people are demanding that history be recognized in a way. The s- stories, as they say, history, you know, is, 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 is told. History is written by the victors. Right. And, and I know I, I, because I see it all around me and I feel it that Canadians on mass have an appetite now uh, fueled by tragic uh, history and, 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 and recent epiphany for many people. Uh, but it's undeniable it's happening. I. I couldn't agree more. I <sighs> can I read something, please. I'm. I'm I saw this. I can tell you. I can tell you want a minute to think, which is beautiful and wonderful, and that's the whole point. This was a post by somebody I do not know. It was shared with me, a, a woman by the name of Desiree Lavour. Uh, I don't know her personally. Someone shared this with me yesterday. She writes. I feel like a lot of people are still missing the mark. Uh, she's talking about residential school sites in particular. Despite being sympathetic and supportive of these babies being recovered, a lot of folks still have this notion that these are ancient crimes Mm. that have long passed. The majority of the people you complain about tarnishing your downtowns and your inner cities are residential school survivors. You know, you post your 215 or your 751 or your 1323 or your orange profile photo. And then you go on to complain about encampments and tax money and petty crime and drug addicts and people sleeping in the streets while you're trying to enjoy your fucking scooter ride through the ice district. There are thousands who perished and need to be sent home and grieved. Yeah, but there are thousands more who lived through the nightmare and are actively and endlessly villainized for it every day of their lives. You're sad for those who were buried nameless, yet you want the survivors pushed out of your sight in the exact same way. If you want to honor the babies who never made it home, support the ones who did. Desiree Lavure, the author of that. I mean, you look at affordable housing and how people say, you know, not in my neighborhood. There's right. a lot of NIMBY around that. And it's precisely that's what... Um, affordable housing helps to find homes for folks. And I don't know, this weekend was just, I I am a white settler. So, I mean, I found it very hard this weekend. Mm. I really, I was very quiet on Canada Day. I, I didn't go out. I stuck to myself and I went on a walk with my dog just was reflecting and yeah I'm it was interesting it was an interesting dynamic on july 1st oh. right because there's there, there were people that i mean like alberta's open for business you know i mean across the country many people are celebrating canada day there's fireworks in the major cities right some um, of them uh, you know restaurants are, are open patios are open people are out the weather was beautiful and then you have this happening 
uh, across the country. And, and like Lorelai pointed out as well, international attention. I mean, you, you, it's not uh, this is not a conversation confined to Canada. It was interesting to hear from a former government minister uh, and veterinarian, Dr. Richard Starkey, who reached out to the show. I really appreciate that he's one of our uh, audience members. He wrote in to say to talk at RyanJustison.com. He said, you know, I also he said, I really enjoyed that segment with former chief Sophie Pierre talking about St. Eugene Mission. He says, what an incredible leader she is, by the way, compassionate, articulate, thoughtful. Wow. (laughs) Coming from a guy that's compassionate, articulate and thoughtful. That means something. He says, my wife, Allison, and I were out there a few years ago. He says, we didn't play that wonderful golf course and we're not much into casinos. But what we learned about the residential schools will stay with me forever. He says, you really should plan to take your family out there, Ryan. It's an amazing story how this group of First Nations have taken what was a very dark chapter in Canadian history and used it as a teachable moment. I talked to another friend of mine that has been out there, played the golf course, says it's wonderful. I I said, I feel like, I mean, I was speaking candidly. I'll tell you what I said to him in the words. I, I said, I feel like staying out there would really mess with me, like emotionally. I don't know. I don't know. And he said, oh, it does. He said, it does. This is my buddy Troy says it does. He says, you're in there. And he goes, you're in your hotel room and you're wondering, like, what happened in this room? And he says, and the answer is maybe nothing, maybe nothing, but maybe something. But he said he wouldn't take it back, wouldn't take the trip back. Let me also read the second part of Dr. Starkey's email. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but I always love feedback from audience members means a lot. He, he also, no surprise, uh, Dr. Starkey heard our conversation with the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association president, Dr. Ferries, about veterinary and medical health, uh, mental health rather. He says that conversation really hit home too. He says, if you were to talk to most vets, almost all of us know at least one colleague who's taken their own life. He said, in my case, it hits really close to home. The vet who hired me out of veterinary school uh, in 1983, Dr. Malcolm Gray, was past president of the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association, was a gifted practitioner. We were partners from 85 until his retirement in 90. We stayed in touch after playing golf. Says the last round I played was with Malcolm at Kananaskis in June 2002. And at that time, he was working for the Canadian Food Inspection Agency He'd been helping vets in England manage the foot and mouth disease outbreak. And he told me how hard it had been, how hard it was to tell families that all the animals on their farm had to be euthanized in order to manage the spread of the disease. He had a heart for people, had a heart for animals, and I could tell that the experience had been very difficult on him. And two months later, I got a call from his daughter telling me that he had taken his life. She was asking me to deliver his eulogy. He says, and then your conversation on Real Talk soon morphed into people talking about their pets with many stories about euthanasia of pets. Do you remember this? How could I forget? I mean, yeah. that, that was one of our more candid. That was We didn't plan that. We didn't plan to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. People started sending us photos of their pets, pets that are have since passed, pets that are still with us. I think everyone's hugging their dogs and cats and gerbils and I don't think you hug budgies, do you? Or maybe you just gently, I, you gently kind of give them a little scratch behind the whatever those birds have ears. They, do they have ears, yeah. He says this is a really tough subject for veterinarians, and it's and it's certainly one of the many factors that contributes to some of the mental health challenges. He said this is a worldwide phenomenon, by the way, in our profession. We're the only healthcare profession that's called on to provide care for our patients from birth onward, and then in some cases also asked to humanely cause the death of that patient. Wouldn't that be interesting to know on the human side if there's been an example in, in recorded history of a physician that would have presided over the birth of a patient practicing obstetrics 
and then potentially care for that patient through life and then assist in medical death. Hmm. Wouldn't that be fascinating on the human side? He says, we're the only profession called on for this. Vets form strong bonds with their patients and their owners. <laughs> Our profession demands compassionate, empathetic care, and it's not easy. He says, I'm reminded uh, since returning to practice of how profound that human-animal bond is. Dr. Starkey references, he, he delivered a speech in the Alberta legislature back in April 2018. You can look for it online um, about following the, the passing of his beautiful uh, Bernese Mountain Dog, Liesel. He says, I, I gave a lot of speeches in seven years at the legislature, but I still count that one among my favorites. And he said, and I really appreciated, Ryan, that you referenced Jimmy Stewart's appearance, uh, appearance uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, on Johnny Carson 40 years ago, that, that amazing poem about his dog, Bo. Doc says it tears me up every time. He says, while, while we're talking about tearing up, check out Hans Wilhelm's children's book, I'll Always Love You. We always had this book in our clinic to help families coping with grief from the loss of their pets have tissues handy. Starkey goes on to say, I continue to enjoy the show. Sarah's a great addition to the team. Good luck with the Pisco Sour. I'll have to stop by Sea Change Brewing Co. and pick up a case on my next trip through Edmonton. That's from Dr. Richard Starkey. Really appreciated that. I think the beer might be getting close to sold out, Doc, but I know a guy who knows a guy who could get you a four pack. So no problem there. Want to remind you that we're uh, always keeping an eye on our hashtag Real Talk RJ. It's powered by the team at Park Power. They're in the internet, electricity, and natural gas game. They have been for coming up on 10 years now. So relatively speaking, a new player, but no reason uh, or no wonder more and more people are finding reason to bring their business to Park Power. Uh, You want to save money? You want to support local? They profit share with charities in the region. I mean, who else does that when it comes to locally owned Utilities providers, parkpower.ca is where you can punch in our promo code 2021-REALTALK and they'll give you $70 off your first bill, commercial, residential, whatever, at parkpower.ca. The team at Eden Landscaping, I mean, this is their prime time. They've got all their crews out working to bring your outdoor space to life. It's not too late to book a consultation with Mike and his team via landscapeedmonton.ca. They've got over 20 years of on-the-ground experience. You can visit their website to see some of the work that they've done. We're talking full project management from plans all the way through excavation, stone and woodwork, retaining walls, water features, outdoor kitchens, irrigation, drainage, lighting, sky's the limit with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. I was checking out Friesen Brothers' website over the weekend. You can find it yourself at friesen.com. It's a great way to learn more about how family comes first at this family-owned business. For more than 65 years, they've been proudly supporting Alberta producers featuring Alberta-grown products in all of their 16 Alberta locations. Now, don't forget, of course, that that new store in South Edmonton is being celebrated for a whole bunch of things, including clearly labeled and easy-to-navigate vegan and vegetarian options. We're getting more and more feedback I don't know why Hoyle's just raised her eyebrows here. Are you are you going to be surprised to hear? Are you going to be surprised to hear that I have tried a good number of the vegan and vegetarian Ooh. options from Friesen Brothers in South Edmonton? Oh heck yeah! It carries like on this mission to change my mind about things. So I had a vegetarian smoky, like a vegetarian yep. hot dog from Friesen Brothers the other day. Pretty good. The hot dog Pretty is a good. really hard thing. It to is because the hot dog, the smoky needs fat in it. Yeah, it right? does. 
and eats fat. And so that's one thing where I'm kind of like, eh. But it was actually pretty good. I ate, put it this way. I ate the whole thing. So, that, you know, I ate the a, whole thing. It wasn't a... Blah. What more can I say? You can learn more at Friesen.com. And a big shout out to the team at Westworld Computers, keeping our studio powered for more than 40 years. They've been doing that on the sales and the service side. Right now, you can book your service appointment or check out their inventory at westworld.ca. You know they'll ship anywhere across Canada. We just heard from uh, we heard from a couple of friends in the interior design business. They said Daryl and the team hooked us up. Nice. They got a whole new fleet of MacBook Pros. You can check out the entire new lineup and learn more about some of the things that come along with supporting a small family-owned business like Westworld. It's a different shopping experience than when you go to the big box store. You can find them online at westworld.ca. Let's get into this. It was a while ago that we that we asked our audience members. So, so every week, uh, our friends at Y Station present alongside with us, they're our official research and strategy partners, our question of the week. And we had a couple of things happen, in particular, uh, the discovery of of these unmarked graves, or at least the numbers, these revelations um, have been dictating much of the conversation in Canada. It means that we've shuffled up some of our editorial lineup. And so we didn't get to the results of a question that we asked you mid last month. It was a question that we asked you about Alberta's planned referendum question when the municipal election goes this fall, a referendum question around equalization. We asked what you think about the question in particular, and then we dug in a little further. 883 of you completed surveys via RyanJesperson.com. And uh, well, let's take a look at, at some of the key highlights. Overarchingly, you said no to whether or not you believe that Section 32-2 of the Constitution Act, Parliament and the Government of Canada's commitment to the principle of making equalization payments should be removed from the Constitution. 88% of you, in other words, just about the same number of you that have unscientifically been chiming in on our Twitter this morning on our unofficial poll. This is a little more scientific, the Y Station stuff. We get more insight into background, demographics, geography. I mean, all the types of things of the people chiming in. But 88% overwhelmingly said this should not be removed. The equalization formula should not be removed from the Constitution. Now, let me say this. I guarantee that result is going to be different than what we're going to see in October. When it comes to who's drawn to this question and answering this question, we'll get into that in a second. But here are some of the other key highlights as, as, as laid out by the team at Y Station. 61% of those of you that responded, 61% of real talkers said the best time to address this would have been when Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney was a federal cabinet minister. That was the last time that equalization was was tweaked, essentially. This is Stephen Harper's equalization formula, if you want to put it that way. 61% said it would have been better done when now Premier Jason Kenney was a federal minister. Here's another key highlight from the team at Y Station. 45% of you, just under half of you that responded, think that this referendum is just cover to push a particular subset of voters to the municipal polls. 45%, which is actually lower than I was speculating, right? So the, the, the theory here, the speculation, the assertion would be, That the type of voter that would be inclined to show up to strongly make a statement that equalization should be removed from the Constitution. In other words, that it's unfair to Alberta, that Alberta is getting screwed. The voter that would be most likely to show up to vote, yes, get rid of it, 
is also the type of voter that would likely support candidates that the premier and that the provincial government would like to see win in the municipal elections. Now, of course, many would scoff and dismiss this and write it off as some sort of a tinfoil hat theory. But 45 percent of you believe that ultimately this is a bit of a ruse, that ultimately this is strategy, that that's what this is really all about. Sam, do we have one more? I think there's one key highlight. Let's take one more look at this and a shout out to the team at Y Station that spends a portion of their weekends working on this. We really appreciate the partnership. Sixty three percent of real talkers this question a little cheeky. 63% of the giggle from the back, 63% of real talkers think we should put the money earmarked for this referendum. It's pegged that I've seen it pegged at about 11 million bucks to support the referendum into like schools. 63% of you said we could probably better use the money on things like schools as opposed to asking this question. Now, Dr. Trevor Toom out of the University of Calgary spoke about this back on June 16th. If you'd like to go back in our archives, you can, of course, find that on our YouTube channel. Thanks to everybody that subscribes. Thanks to everybody that hits like, by the way, on the shows that you're listening to or watching. And of course, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts as well. We asked you, well, hang on a second. If it's non-binding, why is this referendum question being asked? And here's what some of you had to say well, to stir up anger in Alberta. So they focus on uh, nothing, uh, focus on a nothing referendum instead of other issues. Another says it's it's simply political theater attempting to garner back voter support. Chris Henderson, who's the chief strategist at Y Station, I appreciate his note. I appreciate his notes on this. And, and I'm reading from our top line report. If you support us on Patreon every month and thanks to everybody that does more information on that at right at the top of the page at RyanJesperson.com. There are perks. There are benefits. And one of them includes exclusive access to these top line reports every Sunday night or Monday morning when they're ready. And Chris Henderson says we tried to find a strong conservative comment to balance out these selections. And we couldn't find one that we could include. He says, we do try to do that every week though. Sorry. <laughs> that from Chris Anderson, the chief strategist at Y station. We asked for your thoughts on, on other perspectives, uh, uh, you know, relating to this. And sometimes we just leave it open. We let the cursor blink and it's just a big blank box. And many of you take the opportunity to, to kind of unload in a way. You know, one of you said there's there's just no good options here. I'm so sick of government. Another says the formula does need to be revamped. So provinces like Quebec can't game the system and the redistributed equalization funds get to places where it's most needed. The audience member goes on to say, you'll never convince me places like Drayton Valley, Alberta couldn't have used more equalization help over the past few years than Montreal. Another said, if the government of Alberta actually educated Albertans on the equalization process and formula and identified specific issues that could be adjusted, then the results of the referendum might mean something. Another says equalization is a great Canadian equalizer. Certainly, it does seem Quebec is getting the best deal, and I'm open to revisiting the formula but it's a great way to ensure that even if a province falters, Canada remains strong and its citizens are cared for equally across the provinces. Now, this week's question of the week takes a completely different tone. And again, you can find it at RyanJesperson.com under question of the week. Last week, we saw a record-breaking heat wave sweep across B.C., Alberta, and Saskatchewan in particular, 
There was actually uh, horrific implications in some communities, people losing their lives. It's tragic. For those that did survive, I mean, stores sold out of fans and AC units, restaurants started handing out free water in some circumstances. We were hearing from people that were heading back to their workplace for the first time in more than a year just because there's air conditioning at work. In this week's Get Real, our question of the week, we want to hear from you about the steps that you took to prepare for or respond to this drastic heat wave. And then we we couldn't help but have a little fun with it. We also ask you, what's the best hot weather treat? And it is obviously an extremely shameless plug for our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park who did not ask us to do this, but we thought we'd have a little fun after, you know, People might say, why so serious? There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Did we end up booking Professor Flanagan? We did. The meteorologist. Yes. Okay. We're not talking about Tom Flanagan. Nope. We're not talking about one of the architects of, 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 of Stephen Harper's rise to prime minister, uh, conservative prime minister of Canada. We're talking about Mike Flanagan. He's a, he's a wildfire specialist. Yeah. And meteorologist. So he'll be speaking with us about the heat wave, about the weather and about the implications which are many, and that's happening on Wednesday morning. Okay, good stuff. Uh, I don't think that I included that one because that was a recent booking. That happened that just yesterday. The, no, that was this morning. This morning. Sarah Hoyles, well done. Uh, on Sunday, we put together and I'll release, a, a, we call it our Real Talk Sunday message. It's, it's free, obviously. Um, you know, Several thousand people subscribe. We invite you to join them. If you haven't already, you go to our website, you scroll down to the bottom. That's where you can sign up for our email newsletter. By the way, check your junk mail folders if you're not, if you're subscribed, but you're not getting them or you think you're not. Some of our emails are going to people's junk folders, which is really tragic. I, I mean, mean, really this unfortunate. Junk. This is this is gold, Jerry. Gold. But every week we give you a sense. We look back on the week that was. We link to some of our what we might call our highlight interviews, some of the must see moments or the must listen moments. And then we give you a peek at what's coming up in the week to come. It's a great way to stay in tune with what's happening on the show. It's our Real Talk Sunday message, and you can subscribe to it at the bottom of the page. So again, thanks to everybody that's going to chime in on our Real Talk question of the week. Also wanted to remind you we're constantly soliciting do we call it feedback what we receive for trash talk it's more like vents it's more like rants it's it's more stuff you've got to get off your chest every friday we bring you that these are submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com it's presented by the team at local waste they want to remind you the value of taking your business or keeping your business expenditures local local waste has been in the game for more than a quarter century still family owned and they pride themselves on the relationships with their business partners, their clients, their customers. They start small and grow the relationship with you. I was talking to Mikel, the CEO over there a while ago, and he, he made that statement to me that I that I felt like kind of just, I, it took me a second. I was all like, I was like Bill and Ted. I was like, whoa, when he talked about it, he says, air's free, but it's expensive to dump. In other words, you got these small businesses that have been sold these big, huge bins, right? And they're paying big bucks to have these bins dumped, but they don't need big bins. Local Waste works with you to determine a plan that fits the size of your business, and they're proud to grow with their customers. You can find more at localwaste.com. Also, big shout out to the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. We had our Grand Cherokee on the road this week. And as a matter of fact, both of them were a Jeep family. And that's a big reason because of the security and the reliability that comes with the brand. Since 1941, Jeep has been trusted by Canadians. And this year, they're thrilled to roll out the Grand Wagoneer. This is the big luxury unit. This is the one that has the Escalade quivering in its wheel wells. 
The Jeep Grand Wagoneer is going to be a tough one to track down, but you won't find a better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You can check out their inventories online. You can link to them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. And a big shout out today to the team at Kubi Energy. Jake wanted me to remind you that right now there are incentives to the tune of thousands of dollars that could really cut down on the cost of you advancing your sustainability goals. If you have long dreamed or thought about putting solar panels on the roof of your garden shed, your home, your cottage, your cabin, your business, whatever, the team at Kubi Energy can point you in the right direction to make sure that you take advantage of all the incentives out there. You can tune in or find more about that at kubienergy.ca. You know, each and every Monday, at least on our very first day of the broadcast week, the team at Kubi Energy also gets us started off on the right foot. It's a feature we adore called Positive Reflections. This is always better experienced on YouTube than the podcast, I have to say, and that's why we push these out as a separate file. You can watch Positive Reflections as a standalone by visiting the Real Talk Ryan Jesperson YouTube page. We just heard from Andrea who says, you know, I've occasionally felt prompted to, to email a podcast or a show that I enjoy, but I've, I've not followed through until now. This is a first for me. She says, we moved to Ottawa a couple of years ago to jumpstart my partner's career. We're originally both from Alberta. Shout out to Pinoca and Calgary. She says, we miss Alberta more than I can put into words. We approached the move with open hearts, every intention of falling in love with our nation's capital. But to be honest, neither of us consider it home. We want badly to move back, but we've been watching with dismay the devastating effects of the current government's bad public policy, the contempt for Albertans. Don't worry, it gets positive. She says, I often wonder about the province we left and whether it'll be the one that we'll one day return to if we return at all. But that's where real talk comes in. You, your audience reminds me all the time of what I love most about Alberta. You highlight and put on display the very best of who we are as community. I'm grateful for the show. It gives me a little window into the place I love. It offers me hope and optimism and ingenuity that makes Alberta such a wonderful place to live and grow. She says, now on the positive side, one of the things I have fallen in love with is our puppy, Cassie, named after the Cascade Mountain. My partner got as a surprise, got her as a surprise for Christmas this year. And after years of discussions on how badly we need a dog in our lives, Sam, let's roll this video. It's hilarious. Andrea says she's almost eight months old. And you can see we're trying to teach her how to swim. But despite being mostly a lab, she's not great at swimming. She says you can see in this video that she only uses her front paws. She kind of looks like my boxer Moses trying to swim. So as we've been trying to find different ways of cooling her off in the summer heat, and we took her and let her loose in Lake Ontario, and, and we're thrilled to announce that not only did she discover she can use her back paws for swimming, she learned how much she loves to jump around in the waves. She says those flapping ears make me smile, and I hope that it does the same thing for the audience. Andrea says, thanks for the tough conversations. It's the only way we can all be better while bringing some light to each and every day. An amazing email from Andrea. Thanks so much. This was submitted to us uh, by Greg, who tagged us on Twitter. And, and I don't have anything to say about this. I don't know why Greg passed it along. Sam, let's just roll it. I don't even know how the heck people got this camera shot. But this might be the most Canadian thing you're going to see this week. Greg sent us this video posted on Reddit of a beaver gnawing through a tree. 
How many chances do you get to get this up close to a beaver doing its thing? Crunch, crunch. Right? It sounds like kind of hammering down on ripple chips. It's making me hungry. Look at that I'm little fella tree bark. <laughs> doing what it's got to do. I, I felt like it was kind of a nice fun inclusion on positive reflections because there's the whole busy beaver thing and everyone's getting going this week and kids are going into summer camps and we've all got work in front of us and alas take a page out of the notebook of the mighty beaver the official rodent of canada isn't it thanks to greg for passing that along before we sign off i wanted to let you know that next week on positive reflections we're going to be launching a contest it's a big one and you're not going to want to miss it if you consider who sponsors the segment and what they do, there's reason to get excited. I'll to leave enter, it we? there for now. I'll leave it there for now. That's coming up next Monday here on the show. Thanks for tuning in, friends. Make it a great week. One love. We'll see you tomorrow.